0: All right, let's go to our Bibles, Psalm 38. And before we dig in, let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we turn to your word and and, and Lord, we need you to give us understanding into it. You promised that your word is understandable for even a child. But Lord, we know that it's your spirit that illuminates your word. And we need your word illuminated because your word is the life that we need. And so we ask for that, Lord, and we ask for it in Jesus' name tonight. Amen. Let's see. Oh, I need my remote. Then I can go back. Oh! My remote is dead. The last person who used it left the batteries on. Um, There's some batteries that are plugged in over there next to the sound board. And if you guys just uh, bring those up to me, they should be like AAA. They look orange. They're plugged into cords. Yeah. I'll switch those out. Um, But to give you an idea, Psalm 38, we're going to look at the whole Psalm. And the title for this message is The Pain of Sin. Uh, Many times we encounter and mess around with sin And maybe we don't fully understand what it's capable of. And other times we've gotten ourselves mixed up in sin. And now we're having to deal with the extent of that. Uh, Many times the full extent and the damage of sin, it's never fully contemplated. When we consider sinning, we never go, oh, I can't wait to see that relationship get broken. I can't wait to feel the pain of these consequences, All we can think about is the immediate fulfillment of our fleshly desires. I'm going to make sure that I do what I want to do. And ain't nobody going to tell me anything else. And it's been said by more than a few. I I was trying to figure out who actually said this quote. And um, it's attributed to Warren Wearsby. It's attributed to Ravi Zacharias. It's attributed to Kay Arthur. But it's been said by more than a few. Sin always takes you further than you expected to go costs you more than you wanted to pay and keeps you longer than you intended to stay. One other aspect of sin that we never contemplate is the pain of our sin. Now this psalm, due to its dealing with the confession of sin, this psalm is listed in in the list of psalms called the penitential psalms. Um, It has a confession of sin, And there's also the idea that unconfessed sin can bring about great physical, mental, and emotional maladies. The more repressed the sin and the guilt, the greater the manifestation in the physical, the mental, or the emotional form. Um, Jay Adams, a well-known Christian counselor, wrote a book, several books actually, One of the, one of the main ones is competent to counsel. And his main premise in that book is every Christian with the Bible in their hands is competent to counsel. You don't have to have a psychology degree. You don't have to go through all the worldly training. You have God's counsel in your hand. And so he has a form of counseling. It's called neuthetic counseling and it's not unique to him, but he is one of the main proponents that is pushing that counseling uh, practice forward. And, um, in his book, Competent Counsel, he talks about this experience that he encounters as he teaches the New Thetic Counseling Principles. There are people that he goes to. He's gone into um, the mental wards in which people are suffering from severe mental um, breakdowns and things like that. Uh, he shares one story of a girl who is completely and totally catatonic. And wouldn't respond to any type of counseling. And as he went in there preaching the gospel, preaching the confession of sin, preaching the forgiveness of sin, out it came. It was some sin that had been just so repressed. And our bodies are not meant to hold on to sin. Our bodies are not meant to hold on to, uh, we need to get that sin dealt with. And the Lord has created us in such a way. When we try to hold it, when we try to hide it, it creates a lot of physical inner turmoil. David is identified as the author of this Psalm and the only objections to his authorship stem from the fact that this Psalm concerns a severely sick man and there's no account in the historical records of Chronicles and Kings and all that of David being severely sick. And so uh, just because it's not recorded doesn't mean it didn't happen. David is far more open with himself than I think those who would record his history would be open with. And so this Psalm from David is here to help us by bringing our sin into the light. Because when we bring our sin into the light, when we expose our sin, we confess our sin and we might find healing from the pain of our sin. So starting in verse one of Psalm 38, David writes, he says, Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me and your hand is pressed down on me. There's no soundness in my body because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have flooded over my head. They're a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I'm bent over and brought very low. All day long I go around in mourning. For my insides are full of burning pain and there's no soundness in my body. I'm faint and severely crushed. I groan because of the anguish of my heart. Lord, my every desire is in front of you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart races and my strength leaves me. And even the light of my eyes has faded. My loved ones and friends stand back from my affliction. My relatives stand at a distance. Those who intend to kill me set traps and those who want to harm me threaten to destroy me. They plot treachery all day long. I'm like a deaf person. I do not hear. I'm like a speechless person who does not open his mouth. I am like a man who does not hear and has no arguments in his mouth. For I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my Lord, my God. For I said, do not let them rejoice over me those who are arrogant towards me when I stumble for I am about to fall and my pain is constantly with me. So I confess my iniquity. I am anxious because of my sin, but my enemies are vigorous and powerful and hate me for no reason. Those who repay evil for good attack me for pursuing good Lord. Do not abandon me. My God, do not be far from me. Hurry to help me. My Lord, My salvation. As we contemplate and we think about the the pain of our sin, as we see what David is going through, there's a few things that we come to realize. One, the first thing about the pain of our sin is there is a sentence for our sin. There is a sentence for our sin. David starts off, he says, Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me and your hand is pressed down on me. He starts by crying out to the Lord. So overtaken by the pain of his sin, David is only able to cry out to God. You see, when you're experiencing the pain of your sin, there's nowhere else you can go. You know who else can help you with your sin? Nobody. Nobody can can ease the affliction that comes from your sin. In his cry, notice that David calls on God. He doesn't say, do not punish me. How dare you? He doesn't say, don't discipline me. He says, do not punish me in your anger nor discipline me in your wrath. Because David is not questioning the legitimacy of his suffering. He's crying out at the severity of it. David's not asking the Lord to not punish him at all. He's not asking him to not discipline him, because those requests, they would go unanswered. You want to have an unanswered prayer? You ask God to do something that's against His character. It's only what we ask according to the Lord. In His name that we are promised we shall receive it. God does not allow sin to go unpunished, and He will not allow His children to go undisciplined either. God is a good father. It is only the bad fathers that don't discipline their children and watch them grow up to be tyrants. But David is merely asking that the Lord not punish him in anger or wrath. Anger being the word used. And and in the ancient language, that word that's used means intense, non-subsiding anger of an epic scale. This is not the anger that our moms or our dads have against us. This is the anger of a holy deity turn towards the awfulness of sin. Wrath being the full fury of the Lord. Essentially, David is crying out in the same way that Jeremiah would years later. In Jeremiah, he says, discipline me, Lord, but with justice, not in your anger, or you will reduce me to nothing. You see, he's asking the Lord to reduce the intensity because Lord, I can't stand I can't survive if you put your full fury, if you put your full wrath against it. David here in his sin, in the pain of his sin, he's calling out to God on the mercy of God. He's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's not faulting God. He's not saying, God, how dare you punish me for being a sinner? He's not doing that. David is admitting that he knows he deserves it. He deserves anger and wrath, but he's asking God for mercy. Mercy is only merciful when it's not deserved. Mercy can never be deserved. If you deserve mercy, it's it's not mercy. It's your wages. The proper way that we appeal to God is through his mercy. Mercy. It's always right to ask for mercy from God. It cannot be demanded. We do not deserve it. But we ask for it because God is a merciful God. And he has never turned away an honest cry. There is nobody who will cry out to God honestly asking for mercy, begging for mercy. And God will say no. And without mercy though, sin has to be punished. Sin has to be punished both by those who who don't know God. God will punish their sin. I guarantee you that. He's promised it. There is a judgment coming for those who do not know God at the end of time or when they die. They will be judged for their sin that they do in the body. Those who belong to God also do not get away with sin. God will discipline those who are his. And it's going to be as David describes, arrows sunk in. You know, arrows, and, and it's quite interesting. I didn't realize this before, but today I went out and I was shooting some arrows and, and there's a certain sound that arrows make when they hit their target. And they have this th- sound that they make as they go in. And and I just picture that as David says, your arrows have sunk in deep, embedded deeply. And then he says, and your hand is pressed down. That, that hand is the hand of one that's come down, possibly a, a, to strike a, as a slap, strike as... You know, if you think about a child, when you spank a child, uh, it's come down. Punished by by God is divine retribution for sin. Ezekiel 18.4 says, look, every life belongs to me. The life of the father is like the life of the son. Both belong to me. The person who sins is the one who will die. And that's because the New Testament teaches us the wages of sin is death. That's what our sin always earns. That is what our sin always deserves. So if we are suffering in our sin and it's caused some physical pain, your sin deserves death. And here's the truth. God will and God must punish or discipline sin. The difference is he punishes sin for those who are not his. He disciplines sin for those who are his. The other pain of our sin is there is suffering that is found in our sin. I think most of us have come to that. If we, by the time you reach a certain age, you realize there is suffering that comes with your choices of sin. One of those that comes is physical pain or sickness. David in verse three, he says, there is no soundness in my body because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. Notice that every part of his physical affliction, he puts it at the sole responsibility of the sin in his life. David is describing some sort of physical sickness that he's suffering from. And verse three and five show us that he does not doubt for one bit that it's because of a sin that he's committed. He's being punished for a serious transgression and he's counting his suffering and this illness as being a judicial punishment. Now, we're never told what the specific sin is for which David is suffering, but it must be said that it's not a recent sin. It's one that he thought he could hide. It's one that he thought that he could ignore and not deal with. There's one account that I know of in David's life that would be severe enough that it could cause that type. And he went for about a year before he confessed it. And that's the sin that he committed with Bathsheba and with Uriah the Hittite. It had to have been, when, when our sins are hidden long, when they remain unconfessed, it becomes as David describes, it becomes foul and it becomes festering. And it can be displayed in physical wounds such as like what David had. You know, there's some sins that we can choose to do that cause those types of wounds, right? There's certain drugs and drug addictions that we can chase after that cause those things. There's certain other uh, promiscuous activities that we can chase after that will cause foul and festering wounds. Now it has to be said, and I have to carry a balance with this. Okay. Not all sickness is punishment. Most sickness is not physical suffering can lead us to make connections of past sins and present suffering that may not exist at all. Okay? So if you're here tonight and you suffer from an ailment, maybe you have an autoimmune disease, maybe you just have some affliction that might be genetic, it might be something that you got later, it might just be something that developed. It doesn't necessarily mean you're being punished for sin. It does mean that we live in a sinful world that has fallen and that is continuously waiting for it to be made right and put back whole again. You see... In order to understand this, our minds must be drawn to remember Job. Job suffered as a righteous man. In fact, Job was singled out because he was a righteous man. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? May the Lord never say that about me. No, I'm just kidding. He says, no one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. God is saying, check out this guy, he loves me. And Satan goes, it's because you haven't done anything to him. He says, let me do something to him and then he'll curse you. And and God allowed that to happen. And we know with Job, not only did he suffer physical loss, not only did he suffer the mental anguish, the depression, the sorrow of losing so much all at once, but also his health was taken from him. He had festering wounds that he was scraping with the rocks. We also remember what Jesus said in the New Testament in John chapter 9 about the blind man that um, Jesus healed. In John 9, 1, it says, As he, Jesus, was passing by, he saw a blind man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, he said, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus' answer, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He said, this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. In other words, Jesus shares that God allowed this man to be born in such a way with such an ailment that one day God might reveal the glory of his works among people. Now, back to where we're at. Neither of these explains David's situation, okay? But it's necessary to mention. David was in fact suffering for sin. The psalm directs us to that. The psalm tells us about that. And since we are all sinners, we must note that this indeed is a possibility for us as well. Okay. If we choose certain sins, there are certain consequences that come with it. Even if you give your life to Christ, there are still consequences that can come from past choices. If we suffer physical sickness or pain because of sin, God will make that clear to you. You're not going to have to guess about it. Just the same way that God made it clear to David. David says there's no health in his bones because of his sin. That word health in the Hebrew, that is the word shalom, which is peace. Not peace from conflict or war, but it's an abiding peace that brings rest. He has no rest in his body. And Isaiah says that the result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. Righteousness brings peace. Perhaps you're here tonight and maybe you've been suffering. Maybe you have this uneasy, restless deep within you. Perhaps there's unconfessed sin that the Lord is trying to bring up. Restless in body can indicate a restlessness within your heart. And as we talk about the restlessness within our hearts, we also must acknowledge that our sin can bring the pain of mental and emotional anguish. David describes it in in detail. He says, I'm bent over and brought low. All day long, I go around in mourning for my insides are full of burning pain. There's no soundness in my body. I'm faint and severely crushed. I groan, Because of the anguish of my heart. So, not only is David describing a physical pain that he's going through in in this, but he's also experiencing this mental and emotional anguish. And, And verse six kind of indicates that David was dealing with a heavy bout of depression. And once again, it has to be noted not all depression comes from sin. It can come from being in a fallen world. But there is a depression that can come from when we commit sin and when we try to hide sin or we try to live in sin. I know this personally because back before I gave my life to Christ, I used to live in this this time where I would live out my day and I would sin and then I would go home and I would sleep and I would wake up the next day and I would just loathe the day before, and it got to the point where I just loathed life entirely. And David talks about, he says, I'm bent over, bent over, like just in this depression, this this sad state. He says, I'm brought low. And he says, all day long going around in mourning. That's M-O-U-R-N, not M-O-R-N. He's going around in deep sadness, not in the early daylight. He's going around in mourning all day long. And then he describes, he says, I have insides full of burning, perhaps IBS. Perhaps it's stress related anguish. I know that when you hold on to stress and you're stressed out over something and you hang on to this anxiety and you, and, you, and you just allow this inner turmoil to stay within you, your body responds to that stress by doing things to itself in which you can develop ulcers. Whatever David was experiencing, he again says there's no soundness in his body. And that is the same as there's no health in my bones. There's no soundness in my body. There's no rest. There's no peace. There's no confidence. Hollywood shows us the supposed pleasure and joy of sins. Rarely do they ever show the entire ramifications of such sin. Never do they show life at home after the choices, after the actions, after that so easy, after they, they show the person that dates multiple people and, and, and just has these multiple relationships, they, they show them as so happy and that, wow, look at how they can balance their life. And they show, they show the people that make choices, that, that go after addictions, that, that choose to betray. They never show shattered families, broken trust, Torn apart families. They never show the effects of actions upon others. We need to understand sin is devastating. And all too often we underestimate its corruptive and destructive power far beyond the physical. Sin can take an emotional, mental toil that we haven't even begun to appreciate. And David describes himself as faint, being crushed under the immense weight. And he says he's groaning because of the anguish of his heart. One of the pains of our sin is also isolation. David says in verse 9, he says, Lord, my every desire is in front of you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart races, my strength leaves me. Even the light of my eyes has faded. He says, my loved ones and friends stand back from my affliction and my relatives stand at a distance. David is appealing to the Lord. He says, you know my desire. He says, it's not hidden from you. He says, my sign is not hidden either. And the sign, it's one of uttering a disapproval or disgust at the situation. If you have a teenager, you know that sigh. <sighs> Maybe it has a little of a, you know, Charlie Brown, Ugh! you know, where it's just like, and you're like, what, what, what? It's, it's, it's that, that pain, that. David describes his heart racing his strength leaving him. And he says his anxiety is increasing as his strength decreases. And he even describes the light in his eyes. Whether it be his sight, some say that this is David maybe dealing with an issue with his sight where it's going out. Or maybe it's the light in his eyes. Maybe he no longer sees the world the same way. Maybe he no longer has that joy of life. Or maybe it's his very life is dimming. He feels like he's coming to the end. When we encounter situations like that, one of our greatest supports is our friends and our family that are around us. The people that don't have that are the people that are very steeped in their sin. The worst thing for an addict to have around them is their family trying to help them. Sometimes their family has to let them go through that. Whether it's drug addiction, whether it's any any type of addiction, they have to let them hit that rock bottom. Any te- anything that you do to keep them from it isn't going to happen. In, in David's situation, he has no comfort from his friends or his family. He has no support group. He has no one that's around him. They see him in his comfort, and here's what they do: Oh, keep your problem over there. Don't let it touch me. I don't want your problem touching me. Sometimes when when we end up with consequences from our sin. There are people who will stand back. They won't be a part of it. They don't want to be part of that. They're going to look around and they're going to say, oh, you're in a bad situation. You want to know who your real friends and who your real family is? Look around when things are bad. Look around when you get into trouble because the real ones are going to still be there. David's friends and family, they stood back from his affliction. They stood back. They provided no comfort. They provided no compassion. They stand at a distance. They're just watching. And I don't, you know, believe in everything that psychiatrists believe. I don't believe in pop psychology or anything like that. But every once in a while, a broken clock is right. At least twice a day. So psychiatrists tell us that people do not like to be around those who are suffering because they imagine themselves to be in the same condition and don't like to think along those lines. So they stay away. This is probably true. This may also explain why people will make the most cruel jokes about people that suffer from mental handicaps, that suffer from being crippled, Um, People who have suffered physical misfortunes or are deformed or anything like that. And even if people don't do that out loud, they do it in their choices in which they prefer not to be in the company of those who are like that. They, They would rather be in the company of someone who's prospering, someone who's doing well, someone who's having a good time. This is what David experienced. He wasn't going through a good time, so nobody wanted to be around him. Everybody's the king's friend until the king's all upset and having a hard time. Job experienced this. Job says in Job 19, he's removed my brothers from me. My acquaintances have abandoned me. My relatives stopped coming by. My close friends have forgotten me. My house guests and female servants regard me as a stranger. I'm a foreigner in their sight. He says, I call for my servant, but he doesn't answer. Even if I beg him with my own mouth, my breath is offensive to my wife and my own family finds me repulsive. Young boys scorn me. When I stand up, they mock me. All my best friends despise me and those I love have turned against me. My skin and flesh cling to my bones and I've escaped with only the skin of my teeth. You have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. Darkness is my only friend. That's the isolation that you can feel. And when you're steeped in sin, sometimes as you're making those choices, you, you, you end up isolated in, in that way. And then we see what happens from that isolation. And in, in verse 12, David says, those who intend to kill me and set traps, those who want to harm me, threaten to destroy me, they plot treachery all day long. And then he says, I'm like a deaf person. I do not hear. I'm like a speechless person who does not open his mouth. I'm like a man who does not hear and has no arguments in his mouth. This paragraph or stanza or strophe, if you you want to use the technical term in a psalm, of David can be viewed one of two ways. The first is this is a testimony to David's depression, shutting people out, closing down, David does not hear. He chooses not to listen. He's blocking out all communication. Like a mute, he refuses to respond. Maybe you've been in that position before where you're just so down in the dumps that you're so despondent to everything around you. He refuses to respond. The second is that David is deaf and dumb, more passive aggressively. Not a response to the sickness, but fine, you you guys don't want to be around me? well, I don't want to be around you either. And so I'm just not going to talk to you. you... And so their rejection caused him to reject them back. Either way, here's what happens. David no longer hears or speaks. And instead he's going to choose to respond only to God. Sometimes in our, our sin leads us to that isolation because we have nowhere else to turn but God. But when it comes to the pain of our sin, we need to know where to find the rescue from our sin. As David comes to that time where he no longer hears and he's no longer speaking to anybody else, here's what he says. I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my Lord, my God. For I said, do not let them rejoice over me, those who are arrogant toward me when I stumble. For I'm about to fall and my pain is constantly with me. So I confess my iniquity. I'm anxious because of my sin, but my enemies are vigorous and powerful and many hate me for no reason. Those who repay evil for good, attack me for pursuing good. Lord, do not abandon me. My God, do not be far from me. Hurry to help me, my Lord my salvation. So in not speaking to the people, there's only one other person David can speak to. He turns to speak to God. And we've seen this in in all the Psalms. David always knows that he can turn to his God. If there is nothing else that we leave here with tonight, we need to leave with the knowledge that when there's nowhere else to turn, You can always turn to God. David declares he will put his hope in the Lord. And he says, the Lord will answer me. He says, Lord, you will answer me. Not in a demanding way. He's not saying, Lord, you better answer me. This is spoken with a certainty of faith. And trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He even he says, my Lord, my God. Though others may turn away from you, know this, the Lord is always near. David knew, even in his sin, God is his only hope. Even though he acknowledges that the Lord is punishing him, that the Lord is disciplining him. He also knew that God is the one who would also rescue him. We may be under the punishment of God. We may be under the discipline of God. We may be under the correction of God. We need to understand that we are still, that he is still the one who will rescue us. In dealing with his physical problems, David relied solely on the Lord. So too, whenever we're hurting physically, we can truly count on the fact that the Lord hears our prayers and will heal us absolutely. It may not be immediately. It may be weeks or months down the road, and it might not even be till we get to heaven. John Corson in his application commentary brings us to, un, to remember Paul. Paul, in his sin, was zealous for the Lord, persecuting Christ's church, throwing many in prison, condoning, putting others to death. When, De- when, when Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus, he was knocked off his horse, blinded, so that he had nowhere else to turn but to the Lord. As he went through, there was something that came upon him. We don't know what it was. He describes it as a physical ailment, a a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was. We know that Paul did many wonderful things for the Lord. We know that Paul turned from his sin. Perhaps this was something that came from that sin that he had committed before. It wasn't unconfessed sin, it's just a discipline. Or it could just be something that the Lord was using in his life. Anyway, Paul describes a thorn in his flesh, and he asked the Lord to remove it three times. And three times the Lord's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. And the Lord's answer was, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In other words... He says, your being in a weakened condition allows my strength to be seen in and through you to a greater degree. And so John Corson says, if you're battling with sickness, I encourage you to follow Paul's example. Keep praying until you're either healed or you have an understanding that comes deep within. And so David now comes and he confesses his sin. He says, I confess my iniquities. He describes himself as being anxious and anguishing because of it. He says, I'm I'm under anguish because of it. Can it be so easy that when you go through such physical pain, dealing with your sin, trying to hide it, trying to live with it, trying to ignore it, that if you just come to God and say, I confess it to you, is it that easy? Yes, it's that easy. And we need to know that. We need to share that message. It is that easy. Anyone who confesses their sin before God will be forgiven. But anyone who refuses to confess will not be forgiven. They can't be forgiven. The Apostle John writes in 1 John, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God wants us to confess our sins. He doesn't want us to pretend like we're perfect because he knows we're not. And so God in chasing us and God in disciplining us, God in punishing sin allows us to go through grievous things, physical ailments, mental anguish, emotional anguish as we deal with our sin so that Paul can say things like this, He says, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. And so God sometimes allows that pain in our life so that we can turn to Him and find and repent and find that salvation, find that rescue. We need to confess our sins. We need to accept responsibility for the things that we have done. We need to not be blaming others for our problems. We've had that. We've had that example. That's been our example in the human race ever since the garden. Remember, in the garden, who told you we're naked? Lord, it's the woman you gave me. And then the woman, what did she say? It's that serpent. He did it. The devil made me do it. And that's been our excuse ever since. We point, they did it. And they say, the devil made me do it. And God wants us to take responsibility and say, Lord, I have sinned. We come to God with our sin stained hands because He already knows what we've done. We're not going to get away with it. To try to get away with it ties us up in knots on the inside and soon develops into physical outward signs. Instead of running from God, we need to practice running to God. Adam and Eve exemplified the wrong actions. They ran from God. They hid from God. Our sin has severed us from God. But we need to return to God so that he will return to us. That's what it says in Zechariah 1.3. God says, return to me and I will return to you. We have to return to God for him to return to us. If we turn our back on God, all hope is lost. We're dead in our sins. We have to show that we want to be near to God. We have to follow what it says in the, in, in the New Testament. James writes, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We show that we love God. We rededicate ourselves to God. We, we choose to instead keep his commands. We return to God and he promises to return to us. We need to understand a few things. We need to understand the pain, and the consequence of sin. We need to remember the guilt, the suffering, the sorrow, and the pain we experience when we choose to engage in sin. None of us like it. I can't think of anybody who says, you know what? My favorite day is the day that I feel the most guilty. The best day of my life was when I was overcome with sorrow and Suffering. None of us like the potential consequences for action. Sin is an enticing because of the consequences. We start to lift and, and weigh the risk versus the reward when we start to be tempted by sin. We start to go, uh, what's the pain going to be like? And we will downplay the pain to upplay the pleasure. And we need to stop it. We need to stop risking sin and start committing ourselves to the Lord. And the way that we do that is we need to know how to respond to sin. Because there's going to come a time where we do fall. It's not if we sin, it's when we sin. We need to learn the lessons from the temptation and from the fall. We need to learn that we might have to put up roadblocks and guardrails in our life to keep us out of those tempting areas. It's described as this there was a a royal person that was looking for a new coach driver. And the coach driver said to the three people, he said, I have one question to ask you, and this will determine if you get the job or not. How close can you drive to the edge of the road? Well, the first one goes, I'm such a good driver. I can get right up within an inch of the edge of the road, and I can keep right on it. The second one goes... Not to be outdone, he says, I can get within a quarter inch of the road and I can keep going and we can go at full speed. The third one goes, I choose not to drive anywhere near the edge of the road and I'll get you there nice and safe. Guess who got the job? (laughs) Let it be the same way with us with temptation and with sin. Let us not see how close we can get to sin. Let us instead keep a healthy distance away from it. Keep a healthy distance from the things that tempt us, the sin that so easily ensnares us. When we do fall, let us learn from it so that we can get stronger to resist the next time. When we do fall, let us not linger. Let us not stay stuck in the muck and the mire. But let us instead confess immediately and draw near once again to God. God isn't sitting there going, oh my gosh, I can't believe you messed up again. God is waiting to see if we're going to say, dad, help me. I need your help. I fell again. How many of us, when we see our kids fall, like are we not going to pick them up every single time they fall? And my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to know, for us as Christians, God's anger and God's wrath is never upon us. You see, God's anger and wrath towards sin has been placed upon Jesus. In Second Corinthians 5.21, Paul tells us that he made him, God made him, Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God In him, in Christ, through Christ Jesus, we have our sins forgiven because he became those sins. He took on the punishment. He took on the wrath. He drank the full cup of God's wrath on the cross. This means we are no longer the objects of God's judgment. His grace is upon us and his hand is open to heal us. However, let us remember that as children of God, he is our godly father and he will discipline us as children. And in discipline, it's never pleasant to the one under it, right? Discipline is never pleasant, but it does produce the righteousness that we need later on. And so now we can come boldly to God Jesus, Let us remember that. Let us never think, oh no, I've sinned one too many times. God doesn't want me around anymore. God's mad at me. God is judging me. He's not. All that judgment was taken on by Christ. And the moment you placed your faith and trust in him, the judgment of God was removed from you forever. That's the peace that you have in your body. That's that shalom that you have. Is that rest in that you no longer have to work to be perfect. In 1 John chapter 2, the apostle John writes, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins Not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. He is the one who made the atonement for sin on the cross. The advocate, when we talk about judgment, that brings up pictures of a courtroom, right? And an advocate is your lawyer. An advocate is the one who fights for you. And that is Christ. When we place our faith and trust in Christ, he fights for us not necessarily fighting against God, but what he did was he satisfied the wrath of God so that God can declare us through Christ Jesus, who he declared that any place their faith and trust in him shall be forgiven of their sins and they shall be clothed in his righteousness. And so he no longer sees us as we are. He sees us clothed in the righteousness that Christ wears. You need to find the health. your bones you need to have that shalom in your bones and it only comes through christ jesus we're going to have the worship team come up and we're going to sing one more song and i want you to take this opportunity maybe the lord has been speaking to you maybe the lord has been revealing maybe he's been bringing up something in your heart telling you where you're at with whether you have unconfessed sin in your life or maybe you're going through life and, and and you're walking it so carefully because you just know if you mess up just once, that's it. God's going to realize, wait a minute, I made a mistake with you. And we need to understand that he's not that way. And maybe, maybe you're here and you don't know the love of Christ. Maybe you're here and you haven't had your sins forgiven. Maybe you have that inner turmoil in you. You don't have that peace in your bones. You know, and you fear what happens at the end of this life because you know that you don't stand right with God. You can change that right here, right now. Christ died on the cross and he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only our sins, but for the whole world. For any and all who would place their faith and trust in him and ask him to forgive them of their sins. And if that's you, if you come, all you have to do is simply come to the Lord. You can pray to him. The only prayer that God can hear from someone who's not saved is is the prayer of a sinner asking for forgiveness. You come and you say, Lord, I need to be forgiven. You say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me. Be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again, that you're alive today, and you promised me eternal life. Help me to turn from my sin and to live for you. Help me to find the peace that I need. For those of us that know Christ, maybe we, we can sometimes get trapped in our sin. We can for and some people think that, oh, if I get stuck in sin, I'll get out of it right away. Well, sometimes sin keeps us longer than we ever intended to stay. And you need to hear today that God is still waiting for you to come back to Him. And it's as simple as saying, Here I am, Lord. I choose to draw near to you. And he says, if you return to me, I will return to you. That is the promise from our Lord God. Take that time now and allow the Lord to deal with you in your heart. And if you need someone to pray with you, I'll be available up here to pray with you. But don't leave here tonight if the Lord is dealing with you. Don't leave here without getting that settled. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... Your word, we thank you for the honesty that David has put into the Psalms, Lord. And I thank you for preserving it in your word that we would be able to learn from it, Father God. Because, Lord, we experience the same things, whether we're a king, whether we're lowly, no matter where we're at in life, Father, we walk through the same broken world. We walk through the same fallen world that is just corrupted with sin. And we need you. We need your rescue, Father. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.